0: title of this morning's sermon is this, No More Tears. No More Tears. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 promises us this very fact. No more tears, Not in heaven there aren't. Tears of a kind, and we'll think a little bit more about that as we proceed. Deed, tears a theology, of tears, the doctrine of of tears. Well, I've yet to find it. I guess I I have, and I'm sure we're not going to kind of discover it this morning here in the few comments that I'm going to make. But tears are there, aren't they, in Scripture? Well, I had it just in the hymn that we were singing. There in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, why it's there too in Revelation chapter 7, parallels um, that, a similar Experience what happens at the throne, God's people, and when they come through, trials and tribulations of this world. Revelation 7, verse 17 tells us, For the Lamb, who is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the kind of last closing thought of that particular tableau. Of heaven, Book of Revelation, we take it to be doing a kind of reprise from slightly different perspectives of the same chain of events that bring us to the final destination each time, which is God's people around the throne, there in the finally completed, finished, composed New Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, now arrayed in all her glory, and God wiping away every tear from their eyes. Now, will there be tears of laughter in heaven? Well, there, I've asked a question. Can't answer it, I'm afraid, but I ask it. I guess we might well be. Then there are tears of a happy kind. Well, it's good, isn't it, here on earth. That our constitution shows that capacity why well, to enjoy good things, good news that reaches us. And we're moved to tears. Our mouths are filled with laughter. We're there with Psalm 126 when they're brought back from captivity. Tears are probably part of that tears of joy. But these are not those tears, are they? These are the tears of sadness. These are the tears of grief, of hurt, of pain. And... That's there with us in Revelation chapter 21. What kind of tears there won't be in heaven and where God will be wiping them away. And there's a thought there, isn't there, to come back to in a moment. God wiping away those tears because there's no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. The former things, the things belonging to this fallen world, its hurts, and pains, illnesses, sicknesses, disappointments are past. No more of that and therefore no fresh reasons no occasions for the tears that we shed on earth happening there in heaven because the things that caused those kinds of tears tears of sorrow of loss and pain those reasons have gone those belong to the former things where there is death and there is sorrow and there is that kind of crying not in heaven and it was also really there in Isaiah chapter 25 wasn't it says we read that so that chapter and in verse 8 of that chapter well, you'll see again there that this is actually taking us to the final things the end of all the bringing to its conclusion this sad sinful world and all the nations and all that they're doing their wickedness now it's finished he will swallow up death forever and the lord god will wipe away tears from all faces, promises there in Isaiah, chapter 25, hundreds of years before John and this revelation. See, the Bible doesn't trip itself up, as we were saying a moment ago to the children. It's all there. What was said in Isaiah 25, God doesn't have to think, oh, did I really mean that? I better unsay it, change that, sort of brush that out. We'll Photoshop it so that it's not there anymore. no. He knew what he was doing, giving us the word, and he's not going to disagree with himself at the end of it Will say that I didn't mean what I said then. He meant it. And there it is, the promise in the Old Testament, repeated in the New. And in heaven, yes, in heaven, but those promises of heaven and who God is, it doesn't mean that he's not like that here on earth, that he hasn't got the capacity here on earth to wipe away tears in the eyes of his people. Same there, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. And in that capacity, and isn't it so loving, and isn't it so warm that God takes it, God meant this wise, holy being whose grandeur and sublime majesty, no preacher, Properly talk about it. None of us are qualified really to speak of it. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, that He personally takes it upon Himself to go to each of His children who may be in tears, promises to wipe away those tears from their eyes. A parent, isn't it, with a little child who's crying over something? Come there with a handkerchief, Kleenex, or something and wipes away those tears, don't cry. This is a soothing word, don't cry. And that is what God here exercises, that rather motherly office, and that caring, compassionate office toward his people. We move on. First heading, tears of sadness here below. That is unmistakably so, and, well, we wouldn't be human I'm sure if we hadn't shed some tears here on earth below, we've had funerals. Some of our friends have been to funerals this last week and just hearing there that there were tears, understandable. There were tears, lots of tears that were being shed. That is what we have here on earth. And it's part of our chemistry as human beings to feel those things. And we're meant to feel. Those things meant to pass through this veil of tears, unmoved by it, untouched by it. We'll come to that famous occasion when our Lord himself wept in a moment. For there's God come in the flesh. And he wasn't unmoved by it and untouched by it. And as our hymn we sung a moment ago assures us, he he hasn't changed. And he's still touched by the tears of his people today. He isn't there unfeeling and aloof in heaven, far now removed from it. This is beneath him, and he disdains those tears. No, he meets us with those tears still today. And it's part of our lot, and in Ecclesiastes and chapter 3, which I briefly turned to then, it's only a verse of that, but in that famous everything-has-its-time passage. But there it is, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Times for joy, but times too to reflect, and to weep, to shed tears. Is animal kind? Pines? We know perhaps cats and dogs are missing a companion and they might pine. I don't know that they quite shed tears, but there it is. That's our human chemistry. It is to laugh, yes, but how in our sinful nature we can sometimes be found laughing actually at the very wrong things. That's hinted at, and more than that, in Luke chapter 6. And in verse 25, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. There are tears the other side of the grave, but those tears are in hell, actually. So the sorrow is. That's where the crying is. That's where the effects of these former things still live on. And those people who might think that, uh, oh, it's it's clever to laugh at the misfortunes of others, or to laugh at God, to hold him in disdain, to laugh at God's people, laugh at his word. Well, they're assured of this. Woe, woe! Yeah, it's your moment now. Well, laugh if you will. You won't be laughing soon. You'll be weeping. Yours will be the tears. And God won't be there to wipe away those tears. He won't be there to do that. He Instead, he'll be there to assure that those tears are properly spent. And the regrets are real regrets and must remain with those who laugh their way finally to hell. Weeping. Well, sometimes in that time to weep, we can weep at the wrong things. We can find ourselves too enamored of the wrong things and weep over that, which really wasn't worth weeping over. You'll notice in Revelation 18 that they weep over the fall of Babylon. That that system, that representation or antagonism against God of worldliness, of just this world, its goods trading in them, doing what we want to do and earning what we want to earn, but with disdain for God. It falls and they weep over it. Or those who belong to it don't laugh over it. That's what heaven does. Heaven exalts over it. But those who are invested in it, they, they weep over it. Ah, wrong tears, those. Weeping over the wrong things. Some of us, different, aren't we? We're all different. Some weep more readily, more quickly. Others of us, uh, perhaps a little bit more stomach in our constitution, We're feeling it, we're weeping somewhere in our hearts, but it doesn't come so readily to our tear ducts. From the reasons where there are plenty, that we hold with the reasons for these former things bringing us to tears, as mentioned. The losses that we, each of us, experience, loss of loved ones, loss of opportunities, hurts, pains, this fallen world, what it inflicts, what people inflict upon us. What our bodies inflict upon us totally out of control, aren't they? There, so many conditions that spring upon them, us uh, out of the clear blue sky. I seem to make a habit of collecting such conditions. But anyway, there they are. Also, immune responses within that my consultant assures me are playing a bit crazy and have it with me. And there we are—we end up with what we end up. Yeah, and we feel it—the pains of that, others and their losses. And we weep for them, don't we? Our children, parents, and what they had, what they didn't have, what they haven't gotten now, we we weep for them. And some results will be coming out, there'll be some tears, there'll be some disappointments. Relationships, where there were hopes, and they didn't materialise. What we thought we had, which suddenly went, what we hadn't expected, that then came upon us. And sometimes we do weep, don't we, when we don't expect it. Suddenly, we're back at a time when we felt sad, just a smell of something, a sound of something, some music, and we're back there and we're feeling keenly those former things that gave us pain and gave us hurt. Now I mentioned that occasion when our Lord himself showed us that God in the flesh does not withhold tears, that he doesn't just pass through unmoved and untouched by it the Pictures, as it were, we shouldn't try, in my view, to picture the Lord anyway. There's halos and some sort of remote kind of dispassionate look upon his face. Well, not so. Scripture tells us otherwise, doesn't it? And here in John chapter 11, and Lazarus, friend we loved, who had died, now there Martha and Mary before him, inconsolable. We read, just to read a few verses of that, from verse 32, in fact. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They he said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. It wasn't a fiction. He did. He cared deeply for that man. And seeing now the finality of what sin and the curse brings, bringing upon this little family, the friends who come out to weep with Mary and Martha, Mary before him, weeping, Jews who are with her, weeping, And he shows that he shares our humanity completely. He identifies with us, not in that sin, not that he himself occasions it or is a bringer of death, but he knows that sin for us brings death, brings curse, brings this kind of finality. And with it, the tears of loved ones who grieve at the graveside of those that they lost. And he stood with us then in that grief, and he stands with us still in that grief, sympathetic, feeling it, knowing what it was, that heaven has not removed from our great high priest the capacity to be where he was there in John chapter 11, that the humanity that he has, glorified humanity, from your and my humanity, that humanity in which he is exercised over our plight, And our struggles and our trials and tribulations is still moved as he was moved here at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. So there are tears of sadness here below, and our saviour himself wept them. A second heading, Ministry of Tears, Ministry of Tears. I don't look for that, that's not some new kind of quango or some new government department that's kind of set up overnight there. it's our ministering, ministering to God, ministering to each other with tears, our prayers, our words, our reflections, our self-reflection, where we are finding ourselves perhaps in tears, suddenly, unexpectedly, but they're real and they have come to us. And tears actually that God has a record of where they are wept in that right way, when they are for good cause and good reason, and where they are sent heavenward, that we're ministering in that way before our God, in our prayers, in our longings, in our sighings with tears. There is a promise to us, Psalm 56, verse 8. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? They're recorded. Each teardrop is recorded. The wanderings, the sadnesses that come with those wanderings. Here in this trackless waste, in this howling wilderness of the nations where we are, where as God's people we find ourselves pierced many a time with grief. What we see, what we hear, what we experience. And those tears are in his bottle stored, a kind of store place, and they're kept safe and they are recorded that they were felt, and they kind of are felt in heaven, and they have their their place and their record there. When we minister in that way in our prayers, when we minister to each other, and there are tears, when in this sad and sorrowing world we are moved to weep, then those tears are recorded in heaven. They are before the throne. They come to his attention, and he considers them valuable friends. We weep with each other, don't we? Fellowship, our common life together—that's where at times feel for each other in that way, and are moved to tears. We know some of the scriptures. I'm sure they're in uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse fifteen. Told there aren't we rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those. We share in each other's humanity, the needs, the trials that we, each of us there, have to endure. And it's repeated to us in the manner of the, the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it. Or... If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. That those sufferings that we might together share, that we do share, and we feel it too and we carry that burden, prayer, perhaps bring, if we can, a kindly word. And that's not to be uh kind of nosy or judgmental or just uh, knowing because we like to know things, because we're going to do something. We're going to weep with that person, proverbially speaking. We're going to pray for them, Galatians 6 verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, law of love, law of loving others as we love ourselves. That if we were in that, we'd feel it. That if that was our experience, then we would feel that just what the other person's feeling. And we help to carry those burdens and minister with tears. Again, it's sometimes easier, isn't it, in a small church to kind of know what's going on and know how it is with each other. And that's, so there isn't going to be a prayer point for this week or the next week. Sorry about that, folks, but uh, hold with the ones that you've already got and keep your ears and eyes open for what's happening in the news, sure. But, well, we can do that and in a smaller church, if we're a church of a couple of hundred Well, I have to employ a team of scribes, I think, to just keep up to date with all the news that there is. That's one of the blessings of a smaller church. We're not lost in the crowd and tears are more noticeable and we perhaps have moved more quickly ourselves in that. And we shouldn't be so quick to move people out of their tears. Oh yes, it could be a cheering word at times, but perhaps we are on occasion a little too quick to Urge each other out of that, that we may indeed be experiencing some precious healing from the Lord in those tears, lessons that are coming. Well, sometimes we are back in the past, aren't we? It can be a hard place to be, but we might be learning good lessons, finding out things we need to find out. And there may be some tears that go with it, but those tears are best shed rather than not shed. And those sorrows are best expressed rather than kept in. So we perhaps at times shouldn't urge ourselves or urge each other out of those tears that we may be shedding. Much discernment needed, I say. We need a ministry of tears, don't we? A theology of it. But it's to come to us really when we consider where we are, what our longings are for ourselves, for our families for our neighbourhoods, for our nation. And we feel, don't we, the time that we are in. And that our intercession, taking our prayer to that level, when we intercede for others, when we place ourselves, as it were, in their place, because they're not praying for themselves, perhaps. And we're praying for them. And We're carrying their burdens and their needs, needs which well, maybe they just don't even recognise. Our nation, for the most part, certainly doesn't recognise but it's very poor and very naked. So There's like the, the church there and Sardis, a reputation for being alive, and it's dead. Like the church in Laodicea. Well, it thought it was clothed, but it's not. And our nation really there should learn to weep. But if it can't learn as yet, then we weep with our nation. Weep for the church too. Did not the apostle Paul find himself ministering in tears when he went from place to place and he assures the elders of Ephesus of that fact in Acts 20 there in verse 31 having warned them about what to expect and how there will be those who will come and draw away people from their love of Christ and introduce heresy and division into churches and he says therefore watch Acts 20 verse 31 and remember that for three years I did not cease to want everyone night and day with tears, apostolic tears, in his ministry to people, to the church there, that he loved. And knowing what was coming after him, knowing how there would be these greedous wolves, these savage injurers of the church and her welfare, knowing that some of the people that he was ministering to, wife, some of them would be the very people that did it, That he was moved to tears. The thought of it was so appalling, so shocking, so distressing, so sad that he was moved to tears. Oh, the state of the church there. We may, well, might we not there as we survey the wreckage. Survey the wreckage. Absolute, absolute folly that is committed in so, so many places and is named as being Christian or the work of the Holy Spirit, or something for which a text in the Bible can be wrongly applied to it. And friends, we we do grieve. Jeremiah himself was called the weeping prophet, wasn't he? How often he spoke of his longing for the people of his day, and seeing what was happening to them, and seeing the wretchedness, and the sin, and the carnality. Just a few instances, Jeremiah 9 verses 1 to 2 Oh, that my head were waters, my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night, the slain of the daughter of my people. Or oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travellers, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they're all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. Oh, he's feeling it there, isn't he, Joss? He's feeling it there. Would, he looks at himself, that the, The situation really demanded of him that his head just be a fountain of tears. Elsewhere, again, just a little later in that same chapter, he says in verse 10 of of Jeremiah 9, I will take up a weeping, wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness a lamentation, because they are burned up that no one can pass through. Nor can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the birds of the heavens and the beasts have fled, they are gone. It's all symptomatic of the ruin of Jerusalem, the end that is coming upon her. You can read of more of his tears in Jeremiah 10. And then in the next book of the Bible, where the title of it gives it away, doesn't it? Lamentations. And Again and again you will find, we think it's Jeremiah here writing this, find him weeping for the state of the people, for what he sees in the destruction of Jerusalem, what injury it's done to the people. The young people, he smarts for them, he feels for them. What injury is done to the great honour of God through the misbehaviour of those people? There he, he stands with Jerusalem, Lamentations, chapter 1, there's a few instances, verse 2. She weeps bitterly in the night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dwelt treacherously with her. They become her enemies. He sees the nation weeping, all her hopes of what Egypt would bring. No, nope, none of it. All her hopes of what others might bring by way of help in a row of need. Nope. None of it availed anything at all. And there in Lamentations again in chapter 2, here is Jeremiah, verse 11. My eyes fail with tears, my heart is troubled, my bile is poured on the ground because the destruction of the daughter of my people because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. His care for the young and seeing what is brought upon them, what disaster, what injury, what breaking of their spirits, what, what future prospects gone and evaporated from them. Friends, today we might weep for the young, mightn't we? We might weep for the young people, children today, and what they are having having to look upon. Why, if they survive the womb, that is, they're not already plucked there when perfectly healthy and with hope of being born, plucked away and destroyed. But if they survive that and judges don't rule that their life support systems have to be switched off and uh, rule that they can't receive palliative care as was in the news just uh, just yesterday and the day before, before that. Weep for them now. Confused, growing up surrounded with such confusion, not knowing who they are, not knowing if they're a boy or a girl, not knowing if that's valid, a right description to use, what it might mean, what it doesn't mean. Voices that are there, bent on confusing them, bent on destroying them. Well, I was just hearing, well, I don't advise any of this or anybody, I sure don't, but you can go to certain libraries and they have their drag queen hour. It's American, it's come back from over there, and men provocatively dressed as women, which used to belong in sort of, what we call it adult kind of humour, uh, and in such venues, places that we wouldn't really want to talk about. But now that's children now, are having pleasing stories read to them by these role models introducing to them notions of strange sexuality, strange kind of identity, and how it's okay, and these are okay people, dressed up as they are in weird ways, and telling happy stories to children with happy smiles on their faces. And as an MP, I won't name her, but she'd be ashamed of herself, saying, isn't it wonderful to in my own constituency, and there she is, photographed a selfie with one of these people. And you could weep for the young. And some of these organizations actually make it very explicit. They're they're subversive. They're revolutionaries. They're wanting to destroy, wanting to destroy families, wanting to get hold of children and sort of toss them up in the air and down their land all different and tuned into the new reality. That's what they want. That's what they want for them. Young women so, so filled with horror at the behavior of young men and their bestiality, their wantonness, that they're moved to become lesbians. It's tragic, and we weep for such things. The political class that, maybe in some quarters, is beginning to wake up to what's going on, and seeing the damage, beginning to see that I think the vast majority of people have no sympathy with any of this at all. And perhaps now they're beginning to realise, well, there may even be votes in this stuff to say, I'm not woke. <laughs> I am against it now. Or well, may God yet deliver us. This is the young people, who are bearing the brunt of it. As Jeremiah wept for them, perhaps we should weep for them too. Where the church, in her triumphalistic sort of mode, and promising great things, there, oh, open your eyes, church, and see the nation, and pray. Maybe ministry to the Lord in that way, ministering to others with tears. We must move on, though. Final heading, God is with us in our tears. Much of a message with it here I have to bring it to you this morning, if that's all I could say, is the weeping. But God comes to us in the weeping. And as his son wept, as he showed them, I am with you, fallen world, fallen people, my people, in all of your distresses and struggles and trials, in your disappointments, in all your hopes that have not been fulfilled, the hopes for your families, the hopes for your community, the hopes for your churches, that I am with you in your tears. I'm not removed. I'm not dispassionate. When you pray to me, you don't just get a sort of computer-generated voice saying sorry to hear, things haven't gone right, you know, if you're on on the train and whichever... Railway company, it is. Your train's delayed or it's been cancelled. We apologise for this. We're sorry about this. It's just a computer somewhere. And I think. Were well, they really sorry? Are they sat there in head office, kind of remembering this train's been cancelled and imagining us all in our, our misery? Well, maybe they do. I don't know. But it feels a little bit artificial, doesn't it? But not from heaven. It's real and it's felt. And God moves towards us in our tears. We weep, perhaps, for ourselves, our own spiritual, moral failures. Well, I'm taking a bit of a break, but, well, I look back and wonder, what's been accomplished? What's been done? How many years I've stood in this pulpit? How many years I've named the name Christian? What's that to show? What is accomplished in those things? And we, we shake our heads, don't we? We look on. Bad choices, missed opportunities, ways that we should have taken, didn't take. We can look on failed relationships. We can look on disappointments and heartbreaks and you can fill in all the gaps. And he comes to you and he comes to me with every single one of those. But he's recorded them. We read that in Psalm 56 verse 8. He's, he's, he's numbered them. And he knows what they are. He doesn't just put them on the shelf and say, well, when they get to heaven, we'll sort it all out. He begins to sort it out here on earth, too. He comes to us in gentleness and sympathy, or oh, sometimes comes to us with rebuke. But yes, you, you did foul that up badly. You did miss the way there. You did entertain false hopes, false expectations. You, you just weren't reading the Bible right. You misread my character. You, Thought I was a hard person there. You misread my generosity, spoken to you on the cross. And so you missed the way a bit. But I'm with you. And we can rebuild. Just as one day Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Lamentations gives way, doesn't it then, to happier thoughts and happier prospects. And here we are. Well, we know about heaven. And that's assured it's in Revelation 21 and Revelation 7. God's going to be there to wipe away those tears then, sure. But he's here now. And the prospects of heaven also filter down to us here. God's the same character. And what he wants for his children in heaven, he begins to allow them to enjoy here on earth too. And healing and recovery and moving on and being able to well, just leave some things behind. It's often is that, isn't it? We just have to leave certain things behind. As a preacher who came from Cholton put it, we have to lay them down just have to lay that thing down, the hope, the, the thought, the ambition that we had, and it may not have been a bad one. We just have to lay it down. We have to let it go, let it pass from us, and look to God to fill perhaps the void we feel will be there. Look to him to, to put something richer, something better in that, that which we held on to, and it may have actually become an idol, or we let go of it. And God will come with something better. We may weep, and he, he'll be there to... To dab away those tears and speak to us kindly and with affection, and help us to to grow and mature from that experience. Sometimes it is that we can weep with clearer understanding, because we're often strangers to ourselves. We we don't understand ourselves. We're moved to tears. Well, why? We can't always quite figure it out. And then he perhaps begins to unravel that and begins to to inquire in our hearts and ask us the questions we maybe just hadn't asked ourselves. And then we begin to ask them, begin to see and understand. And the weeping is there, but we're growing in it. And we're changing, we're learning. And he's bringing us further on maybe than we can ever think we can move. Because sometimes those tears have to be wept to clear space for something more, that he can then put something, as I've suggested, richer, more fulfilling, something better there than anything we'd ever had before new gifts new capacities space that's now free to feel differently thoughts that can now be untrained from their old habitual ways and focus on something fresh and something different so that's here on earth but of course is there in heaven and the final the final work and way of those tears will come how many saints really in their deathbed experiences have lamented what they didn't do for god what they didn't do for christ how little they loved him how little they prayed how little they served and i'm sure all of us there preachers friends all of us there might validly feel that on on our deathbed that we just we were never there somehow we never really did it we never really got over whatever it was still carried the losses and the pains and the disappointments they still were working away in us somewhere. Well, friend, don't worry, because the day finally we come when those things will be put behind. And God himself, personally, got sort of remote again, as though we only ever see him there like once every millennium, you know, everybody else is crowding round him and you're know, kind of at the back and kind of trying to see and there you are trying to attract his attention. You no, know, his attention's upon us all. And he's able personally, better than even our mums and dads could do, better than our older brothers or sisters at their best could do for us, we'll be there, to personally come to us with all the unresolved losses and pains and the hurts, all the health conditions for which there was no healing this side of eternity. And he'll be there to come comfort us and show us that it's, it's better now. And you're in a better place. You're in a safe place. None of those things will ever happen again. I wonder, in fact, if we have a, a progressive movement, that's that we have a kind of healing, emerging process in heaven, whereby those tears don't just go like that, but that we experience a, a kind of coming out, a, a growing into the environment of heaven, a a dawning appreciation that it really is all past. It really is heaven. And it really is as good as we were promised. And the the realization of it and the the putting away, the dissolving of all the sadness and the woe of this world comes more and more past, and more and more we're seeing that hope that lies before us and realizing it's not going to go away. Heaven isn't going to change. It's not like Oh, I don't know, a holiday, it lasts a week, and then you're back. This lasts forever, and it's always going to be as good as this. Why is it going to get better than this? As we're tuned better, as we shed some of the burdens, and as we, we're assured all the more, and Christ just grows more and more upon us. His beauty and his glory, and oh, what he did on the cross. Just how much he did. And when we see heaven and we relate it back, just how much? In that shed blood, he was doing for you and for me that one day, and you could always feel heaven longing for that day when we bring them all home and we're there and they come and they've had many a bruise and temptations and trials. They've had hardships and deprivations. They've been laughed at and scorned. And we can then wipe away all those remaining tears and show them this is where you are, you're home, you're safe you're with me and i will be your god you will be my people and you're never out of my sight and i'm never out of your sight And you can feel safe and secure and if you think it's good now why it's only going to get better and better with each succeeding day so friends no more tears there's the promise no more tears oh, there's some tears still today So as I've said, God can minister to us as we minister to him, maybe, and to each other with tears. God will make sure that that day when it comes, when we're there, and we will actually be able to say, do you know, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. All of the hurts, all the disappointments, all of the depressed moments. It was all worth it because it was leading us finally here where we really belong. There's Christ, the Lamb, who is its light, and we follow wherever He goes. I will say, and I dare say, we'll be able to say it to each other. It'll be there. We'll be recognizable. I don't know what my face will be like there. I can't imagine. But anyway, it'll be changed. But I'll be recognizable. You'll be recognizable, and you'll be able to nod, you'll be able to nod to each other when we say it's worth it. Maybe we'll say, "What all that grief? That you, look what happened there. What, what was prepared for us?" it was worth it. Yeah, friends, it will be worth it. And who can tell the glories of that place? Well, may we smile through the tears. May we look forward to our heavenly home. May God meet with each of us in those trials that we still must endure, but hold to the promise. One day, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen.